Allen Ginsberg here, announcing that this is station WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor, your Dharmic free speech station. Scott Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so pleased to have Carmen Bugan here in the the studio with me. We're we're taping the show. It's the 11th of September, 2012. Carmen, welcome. Uh, welcome to Thank Living Writers. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so exciting to be back here. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, this is this is a welcome home. You're um, you're a graduate of the residential college. Um, go blue. And not only that, but you're no stranger to WCBN either. When was the last time you were here? That's right. It must have been, I don't know, 96 maybe. Uh, the last time when I was here, there was um, a producer named Todd Spencer, who uh, was one of, uh, of the group of people, and we were doing poetry slams all over Ann Arbor <laughs> and all over the country. And then I read here in the studio. And it's so exciting because, I mean, it seems like the couches are the same couches that you guys had then. <laughs> Could be. So anybody listening out there, it's charming that they're the same. But remember at fundraiser, maybe we need some new <laughs> But yeah, so it is. So it's much the same, is it? It's and much the same. It's it's actually quite emotional to walk in here and you know think, oh my god, I, it's really unchanged. It's beautiful. Oh, well, it's so it's so good to have you back, and I'm glad. Yeah. It's good to you you suit suit the headphones and the the microphone <laughs> really well. Thank you. And you're here today. You're actually going. To be, you're, you're going to be reading some poems from your 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 book Crossing the Carpathians um, out with Oxford University Press. Also, um, uh, you'll be reading from your memoir uh, out with Grey Wolf Press, Burying the Typewriter, a memoir. Um, and I see you've also, we, I think we've got, do we have the UK edition here? Uh, the, yeah, well? the one that you have there, yes, is a UK edition with uh, Macmillan Picador. 
And this and I this the subtitle of burying the typewriter for this edition, Childhood Under the Eye of the Secret Police. Yes. So yeah. Whew. Um <laughs> before we go any further, I'll read the short bio in the back of that that edition, Carmen. Carmen Bugan is the author of a collection of poetry, Crossing the Carpathians. She was educated at the University of Michigan and Balliol College. Oxford University, where she obtained a doctorate in English literature. She lives near Geneva with her husband and two young children. Thanks for being here, Carmen. Thanks for uh, thank coming you. back to the studio. Um, and we are taping this, but you're in town and you're going to be um, reading at Nicola's from Burying the Typewriter. Um, and you'll read from that today for us, too, so everyone can... If they didn't get a chance to see you at the reading, they'll um, they'll get to hear you today, um, Carmen. So, with your, what made you come to the residential college? Like, how would, is that when you're, because uh, you you, it's it's your writing life started from when you were a child. You were keeping a notebook, and it was confiscated when your family had to leave Romania in 1989. Yes. So you've been writing. All my life, yeah, basically, yes, since I was about eight years old. Uh, and um, I was writing just to impress my mom, as all the children did. Uh, and uh, she was quite a critic, uh, you know. Uh, she used to ask me for rhymes <laughs> to make things rhyme. And then it became more serious when my father was in prison um, because of the, his political dissidents. Um, and I was writing picture, uh, poems to the photos, to the pictures uh, on a wall, trying to sort of recapture the dad who, you know, was always in my childhood such a loving and wonderful person and who was in prison at that time. And uh, then it became quite serious because um, it provided a way for my mother and my sister to express their grief and for me to be able to put that into words, but also to reincarnate him, as it were, you know. So um, and then, of course, uh, the, the notebook was confiscated. When we left Romania, and then when uh, how did that happen, Carmen? Was it that you were um, you were you were traveling with your family then, and the and, a, and an official came up to you, and you were because you were um, you were a- allowed to leave, right? Yes, and we were. Yes. Why did it? Why? Yeah. What? Can you take us to that scene? Yes. Where it was taken from? You? Yes. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, I call it the, the the last act of pillaging. You know, that happened. Um, we were on the way to Rome by train from uh, from Bucharest, and then from Rome we were to stay in a refugee camp for about uh, twelve days to do the triage before we we went to the United States, and so one of way each family member had one suitcase so we all packed whatever it was the most important thing in our lives to take with us to the new world it's like going to after to the to, to, you know to the afterlife you know right. so um and of course i packed my poetry manuscript because that was my life um and uh as they were rummaging and looking for things to take they saw the notebook uh, with my poems my fledgling crossing the Carpathians, basically. And they took it away. Um, And then I think the loveliest thing that happened afterwards was that, you know, uh, at the beginning I didn't speak any English. And um, it was very difficult to to rewrite the poems or to. But you know, my my family memorized some. This is the loveliest thing. My mom and my sister have memorized, especially the poem that I wrote, on the occasion of the forced divorce of my parents, which I have here in Crossing the Carpathians. 
And so they memorized it and I wrote it. And that poem has been rewritten by me in, you know, in, in different versions. So now finally it has a final version in Crossing the Carpathians. But yeah, so it's, it's a huge journey of that. Um, yes. You know. And that poem, that particular poem, Carmen, didn't it begin actually the day of the forced divorce where you came home and you were washing the windows and you wrote in the dust of the window? You yeah, in my writing? breath. Yes, 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 yes. On a window. Yes, I, uh, I blew on a window. It's dust in a window in my breath. I was and writing. I first wrote to dad. And, and then my mom saw me writing. And then, of course, because I had microphones all over the house, we, we couldn't really talk about it. So she just gave me a pencil and a piece of paper and she said, write it down. And then it was the genesis. And, you know, I must tell you, this is 30 some years later. After I published the book, my mom read the book and she said, you didn't remember all the lines that you had in the poem. I can recite it to you. And so it's wonderful. They, they still remember so, so much. I mean, that they, poem they was internalized the poem. Absolutely. Yes. They absolutely internalized it. Yes. So, you know, it's in my book with, uh, you know, two stanzas that I remember and I try to translate them. Would you like to, could you read that one for us? Then? Yeah. I mean, I can read you uh, from, uh, from, from the memoir. I can read you the, the, the very beginning of it and then I can read you the finished poem which has gone you know quite a transformation um, and I think it would be here with um, with the divorce um, and I have to find it now because you see I wasn't um, but I'll find it it's in here um that's such a lovely addition, the UK copy. And I see that you're here in Michigan, Carmen, for uh, three weeks. And it sounds like you're doing uh, lots of events around the, the state. Are some of them public uh, besides the Nicholas reading? Um, where Yes, I'm giving a reading at um, Saginaw State University, the Saginaw Valley Writers, um, in two days. No, tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Tomorrow night mm, oh, at okay. seven, and then Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I am giving a reading on uh, uh, the twentieth, oh, okay, a- and then nineteenth uh, in Lansing, and then also a few in Chicago. Um, but in Chicago, people can come. So those who would like to come, they can look it up at the Lansing Schuler's Bookstore. Oh, great. Um, and then... Um, and maybe Grey Wolf Press. If you go to Grey Wolf Press, they might have your, your schedule up there as well. That's right, for, yes, yes. For the tour date. So even those in Chicago listening, they could go to Grey Wolf Press and, and look yes. where you're touring. If you just go to the website at Grey Wolf Press and you will see all my all my other events there. Perfect. So it's so, great, yeah. So in the next few weeks, you can mm-hmm. catch Carmen Bugan traveling around with uh, <laughs> Burying the Typewriter, a memoir. Mm. So you found the page, Carmen? So I found the page and I'm going to read it to you the, 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 uh, in Romanian first and then in English. And then I'll read you the finished uh, version. Unde ești, tăticule? Lacrimile îmi curg și roaie. De ce ai plecat, tată? Ai lăsat în urmă furtuni și ploaie. Sărută-ne, tată. Sărută-ne pe noi. Că nu se știe niciodată când vom ieși din noroi. And the translation of it goes, Daddy, where are you? My tears flow and flow. Father, why did you leave us inside thunderstorms? Now kiss us, Father. Bless us with kisses, for we don't know when we'll come out of this mud. And obviously the translation doesn't really do justice to that, but it was also, I must have been, what, 14 years old or something like this when I wrote this. 
Um, and this has metamorphosized, was changed a lot um, with the memories uh, of the, and it had different names, you know. Uh, first it had uh, the name An Oath of Love, because um, I found my parents' divorce really to be an oath of love. It, it wasn't about a divorce at all. It was forced, and then they demonstrated how much they loved each other. And they were really standing. Their love really stood against tyranny. Um, and that was just, uh, you know, something that I wanted to put in a poem, and I wanted to have sort of immortalized. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I called it the divorce simpler, um, in a sense, um, but also because there's irony in there, you know, a divorce that wasn't really a divorce, you know. So I can read you this from Crossing the Carpathians. Before they brought him to the courtroom, they gave him three apples. Your wife sent you these. He cradled each apple in a cup of his hands. The smoothness of their skin became the cheeks of each child. Inside the courthouse, there was quiet opening and closing of doors. A crowd of people was chanting his name under the windows. When the door opened, I saw his bare feet in brown shoes. His children held each other tight against the wall. Their breaths, white with cold, were rising towards the ceiling. They listened for the voices of their parents. When the divorce was over, he was allowed to see them. They kissed his chained hands, promised to be good. Let their tears fall on his prison uniform with his own, all three of them burying him. How I wished we could hide him with our bodies and take him home. The Securitate peeled us off him. But we wore the apple seeds left to grow in the sound of his chains on the cement floor. So, I mean, there's a huge journey, right, from the, from the mess of the lived experience to something like a finished poem. Yes, and so, so much... Um, I, like the, those last moments that you leave us with, with the, the peeled away, the secretariat that peeled you away from him, like to harken back to the apple immediately with that, right? Those apples that your mom yes. sends to him as the, the symbols of children, and then you're the seeds. Yes. So lovely. Yes. And in fact, it turns out that, in fact, my mother didn't send him the apples. They gave him the apples to play um, the symbolism on him so he would read the symbolism. So they told him, and I wrote about this in Bearing the Typewriter, they told him, your wife gave you this. And then, in fact, when my father came home was one of the first conversations that we had and that he asked my mother, how could you send me those apples? Because you knew that would symbolize the children and you knew that you were saying to me that I was, and she was saying, no, 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 I didn't, no. I didn't. It was that. Um, so, is, so the things that you can't trust, like who to know, what, like what someone's telling you is 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 true, true or, or not. not? Yeah. Yes. 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 Let's take a short break, okay. and then we'll come back and we'll hear more. And I'd love to talk a little more about that poem when we come back, Carmen. Okay. We'll take a very short break today on Living Writers. Carmen Bugan is here, burying the typewriter. We've just heard some of it. You'll hear more. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Carmen Bugan is here. Her book, Burying the Typewriter, a memoir, out with Gray Wolf Press this year. Thanks to Tex and to Jack. Um, they're engineering today, making us sound good playing the songs. Could you could you tell us a little bit about the music we just heard then, Carmen? That's, that's a... That's a, a song from your your region of to, Roma- yes, Romania. Yes, yes, it's it's Hora uh, Moldovenească. It's a it's a fast dance that people um, do in a circle, um, you know, holding hands uh, with the steps up and down. So you're supposed to be a pro at it, you know, when you when you're in um, <laughs> enjoy, especially joyous too. Joyous, yes, very happy, um, and it's usually uh, danced at weddings, uh, wedding parties, and you know when people have the the happy occasions. It's a very traditional type of uh, song. And and, and in your memoir, there's a moment where you, you also call it um, as if there's like a, a it's a peasant dance. Yes, it's all peasant dance, and, yes. But do you mind telling us the, the, the story of, uh, briefly of that time in your childhood where, um, where, where you were actually forced to do it? So it wasn't any of like the inherent qualities of what was, it wasn't, again, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Yeah. It was made into something other. That it was decontextualized. It was, uh, it was uh, you're supposed to demonstrate a, a kind of happiness which you didn't really have. Um, so what, uh, what, what happened in the episode that you're talking about is that um, Ceausescu uh, used to go hunting in various parts of Romania. And this is the former uh, tyrant, the, the former leader the, the of former, Romania yeah, from, before the revolution in 1989. Exactly. He's the one who was killed, who was shot against the wall. On Christmas Day, Day. with it, his wife. That's right. Yes. That's, yes, uh, right in 1989. And uh, so... Well, he came to our region of the country and um, to, hunt. to hunt for boar. You know, they, they loved hunting for boar. They really use it as, a, you know, his ego is so big. You use it as, as a private hunting ground. All the countryside. Yeah, all the countryside. He would just go places and just hunt with, you know, with his sons and, you know, stuff like this. So, um, and on that particular occasion, we're all carted off in buses, dressed in traditional Moldavian costumes. And these are all school children. All school children. And you're about eight years old or so? That's, or no, I think or? I must have been about uh, 10, actually. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. And so we were all carted off and then we were, you know, were kept inside the buses um, for most of the day uh, without water or food or anything like this. And then um, then when they heard the helicopter driving by, they took us of the uh, of the buses and they made us dance this hora outside in a meadow. So when when Ceausescu flew over the uh, the meadow, uh, he could he could hear and he was here, probably not, but see the you know the happy peasants dancing and I think it was part of the cult of the personality to just sort of make him feel that everything is uh, is alright with the world and you can see more examples of this um, are given in a book called The Red Horizons by um, a writer called Mihaion Pacepa who was um, Ceausescu's right hand and then he, defe- he defected to the west uh, when he was asked to kill people and he refused to, to kill people um, and uh, he he talks at great length about these particular kinds of episodes, you know, the, the personality cult of Ceausescu and the, the abuses that happened during that period uh, but that's something that I experienced you know, being on a bus in the air Right, right yeah. and, and, to, and how do you force children to dance, I mean, it's just beyond belief almost. Well, you just take them off the bus and you say, "Now you dance." You know, his uh, children just do that. Yeah, and you try. 
Yes, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, but you're used to obey. And this is mm-hmm. something also I was talking today to um, to a lot of students about my book. And I was. And this was at the high school. This was at the high apartment? school. Yes. Yeah. Um, Kathy Churchill is a very good friend here. She was also in RC, uh, a student of Ken Michalowski and a poet herself, oh. a great poet herself. And so every time I come here, I go to her high school to talk about my poetry with her children, with, with her students. And today was one of those. And we were talking just about um, this kind of um, obedience, which you learn as a child in school that you know you obey everyone and if not you're you're disciplined uh, you know corporal punishment and uh, you know psychological punishment you know so we were quite good at obeying and you know um and, you know and but but you were you were lucky and and then also your dad was taken from you so very unlucky but you also had the example of resistance and when you were when you were very young with your grandparents the the beginning of the memoir it's it's so idyllic like this yes. beautiful, like you're you're helping. It's in the countryside. You're you're helping with the cows, yes, the chickens, and yes, and milking the cows and feeding the pigs and the pigeons. And yes, I mean, the, um, I wrote the book because I wanted to explain to my children why it is that we don't go back to Romania. And why it is that I don't want to write poetry in Romanian and my my academic work in Romanian? Why is it that I abandoned the language? And yet at the same time, how come that I sing them Romanian lullabies and and I teach them the Romanian prayers? So I have to explain to them this troubled relationship with uh, with my language and with my homeland. And this is all part of this, uh, you know, this explaining. This is all part of this experience. I have Carmen. I have a friend here, uh, Christina, who, who I, um, who her family also has emigrated from Romania. And so, as soon as I got a copy of your book in the mail, I immediately uh, lent it to her. I gave it to her, and um, and she, she, uh, she said that. Um, to just to quote her, this I usually think in English these days, except when I talk with to my family. With this book, I found myself translating sentences back to Romanian because they felt more understandable understandable to me in Romanian. Suddenly, I could tell the tone and the hidden implications. It was the first time that I felt the closeness of my native language. Yes, and I think the reason she's got that is because you mentioned the idyllic childhood at the end, the beginning of the book. I think whenever, um, after my father was arrested and when I was going through interrogation and after in exile, I always returned to those first 10 years of my life as to the sort of, it's the center of my existence. I mean, there is, there is a Steluza the horse. Um, there is a turkey that my sister taunts. <laughs> there is, uh, you know, there is, there is a very dirty pig that we kill at Christmas and we eat. And, it, you know, it's quite bloody and gross. But, you know, it was something that we did. Um, there's a cow that I'm milking with my grandmother. And there is my grandmother's sort of blue flowery dress in the apron that smells of parsley. And the, the, the smell of thick butter in, uh, in the house that she made. And then oh, the story of the cuckoo bird from Lugoge. Um, and the the bird uh, who that you know left uh, its village and then sang from the rooftops of the world all about being homesick, and um, that um, is more Romanian than anything 
that you might experience outside Romania. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that is, to me, it is a quintessence of Romania. That's what it means. And my childhood. This is what it means to me. Mm. Um, I mean, we all go back to our childhood as, you know, the most adored time, I suppose. I mean, every, everybody goes back and, and the whole human civilization sort of goes back to its infancy, you know, whenever we feel nostalgia for, um, for, for things that have meaning and have value. But, but then for you, uh, by the time, like, for example, definitely when you're 14, at that time you have this knowledge that the the house has bugs in it, that if you're going to say something of importance or a feeling that you might have, you would write it down to give it to a family member. Or yes. I, so you... So there's this. So I was already nostalgic for that beginning. Uh, at the age of 14, I was already hankering back for my grandmother, Angelina, and uh, for my grandfather, Nikolai, and, and for the carefree, you know, time. Yes. And, and, that's, and so that part of the, the language is, is, is safe for you um, still, like thinking about the, the, the language of, of that time. But, but then you mention writing in, in English now. Yes, yes. As a way, because, so you wrote the memoir then in English. In English. Yes, it's all in English, yeah, and my poetry all in English. Because it's... Can you talk a little? Yes, I mean, there is a very complicated relationship with the language. So, that, you know, I think a study needs to be done into the language of oppression and, and how people are come to abandon their native tongues and write in, in another tongue and the kind of complex relationship that you have both with your native language and with the language that you learn, with your adaptive language. And I've written about this a little bit and I want to read some more um, and to write some more yes, about this. You'll be the one to write about it. Yes, I mean, yes. I mean, but yes, so, so the... the, the um, uh, uh, the complicated relationship comes from the fact that I have very sort of idyllic and beautiful memories and sacred memories of the early language. And then the language gets polluted by these interrogations and by mistrust and by hearing all these rumors that my father killed himself and stabbed himself with the handle of a spoon in prison and, you know, all of these things that pollute the language. And, and you know, when you're at that age, uh, 16 to 19, what you want is to build uh, a sense of self that accrues on what you've already had. And for me, I had to dismantle that. I had to cut that out and relearn the language, a language of mistrust in order to survive. And so when we came to the States, I had to get rid of that. Do you see what I mean? So paradoxically, I'm left with a magical language of my early childhood and the songs and the lullabies. And then um, I'm left with the English language in which I try to recreate uh, a nostalgic past, which I probably also idealize because of the age and because of the time and because of the distance. So it's complicated. Yeah, but it's also English is allowing for some some dif- some distance. And so there's a reckoning with it, it seems like as well. Yes, I mean, it's the only way. It's the artistic distance right that that English allows you and then the artistic distance which in my case by telling my story gives me a real life distance from my experience so again like in my case biography and art function together you know they, they coincide in a lot of ways it seems in, like you couldn't pry them apart no if, if I tried I couldn't really because it's uh, if I talk about one I, ha- I have to talk about the other and let's take a short break, Carmen. We'll come right back and we'll okay. talk. A, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the music when we come back. Okay. There's so much to talk about today. Carmen Bugan is here burying the typewriter, a memoir. Um, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Carmen, Carmen Bugan is here. Carmen, thanks thanks for being here today. Thank you. And it's great to be here. It's great. To, and, and it's your return to WCBN. Yes. <laughs> WCBN and Ann Arbor is uh, um, the, you know, the place where I sort of first learned how to dream in English and let go of all of my anxieties. Um, and you know what I used to do with my friends? We used to type poems or handwrite them and nail them to the trees on a quad, in a, you know, in a, on a diag. And then um, we used to go and make snow angels in the snow. And for me, it was such a magical time, this Ann Arbor time, because I was coming out of, of Romania, out of Romanian, um, and I was writing my first poems in my adaptive language, and I was all grateful for everything. And it was a, it was a great, uh, you know, it was also... Um, you know, dancing to 70s music here. And then, you know, uh, after the clubs, we, we used to walk around town. And I was, I was, I learned not to be scared about being in the darkness, you know, here. So it was a, such a growing time for me. It was such a marvelous time, this place. Oh, that is, that is so lovely. Learn not to be afraid of the darkness. Here. Yes, because I mean, you know, when as I grew up, you know, we had to learn quite quickly to look behind our backs for the secret police, for the securitate, and uh, really not trust and always look behind your shoulder and, and always uh, learn how to fear in order to survive. And so here, little by little, I had to let go all of this and sort of recognize the shadows of the trees as trees. And, um, you know, and I learned to recognize, you know, people on the street as nice people, you know. I used to, there were lots of, uh, you know, homeless people, uh, and they used to bum cigarettes from me, you know, and I used to talk to them. And it was, it was just lovely. I, I couldn't imagine a, a more freeing time in my life. And, and Carmen, when you, so you, your family first came to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes. yes. And and then how long before you came to the University of Michigan? No, uh, we came at the very end of 1989, so November. So 1990, 1992, I transferred to the University of Michigan, if you will believe it, with a scholarship from the women um, uh, alumni. You know, I went and I gave an interview at Grand Rapids Community College. And uh, I mean, I can imagine my accent must have been so strong. I mean, even now he's very strong. And, uh, you know, and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be a psychologist because I want to find out how my father survived 12 years of prison. And then after that, I want to be a writer and I want to be famous. <laughs> and they said, OK, we'll give you all the money you want to go to University of Michigan. So I had no fear, you know, I had no fear of dreaming and uh, doing this. And uh, so, yeah, that was a scholarship which carried me here, in fact. And, and how did you what were some of the first how did the poems start when you got here? Here before, like when you were going to nail them to the the trees in the diag. Like, how did um, were you in the residential college? Were you taking a class with Ken Michalowski? Like, yes. what happened, Carmen? So in uh, in Grand Rapids, I went to Grand Rapids Community College, and I had um, a very good uh, poetry teacher there, and his name is David Cope. He's now the poet laureate of Grand Rapids. Wonderful. And we are very good friends, and in fact, I'm going now to to give lectures and a, and a reading for him at Grand Rapids Community College. And um, he was the one who nurtured uh, my very first uh, poems in English. I mean, he published my very, very, very first poems in Display Magazine, which is the little magazine that comes from Grand Rapids Community College. And little, by, little by little, I mean, 
it doesn't have too many pages, but it's big because it made all the difference in my life, you know. And so they publish art and poems, and then so... To see something that you written, actually, it's being distributed by a, an institution, institution, rather than your father having to actually um, type pamphlets um, of revolution sure. at night and then bury the typewriter in the backyard before the next morning so yeah. no one would find it or match the typeface. So quite, you were revolutionary. The, uh, the irony, yes, exactly. The irony of all of this and, and the beauty of all of this that, you know, I found words and I found them in English. And I always like to use the analogy of the water is, you know, um, I always wanted to be happy so and, and, and strong. So, you know, the analogy of the water worked for me that if somebody tried to stop me from being like people tried to stop the water at the dam, you know, mm. where you put a big rock in the face of the water and you say the water can go through there. The water goes around. And so for me, the English has provided the space to go around all of that uh, to uh, to express myself and to be myself. And so and that was also a lot had to do with David Cope there. And then David said, no, you must go to University of Michigan and meet this man called Ken Michalowski. He is going to be your professor. So I said, OK, thank you. And I came and I met Ken <laughs> I went to residential college and I did a creative writing uh, program with Ken. And yeah, so he gave me a summa cum laude because I self-published uh, my book of poems as, as an honors thesis. And then, Wonderful. yeah, and then so we did the poetry slam here and um, went to the Ann Arbor team to the finals, you know, in San Francisco. And so the journey has been one of building and building and building. But it was very performative, I think. People were linking very much into my story and uh, the, the narrative part of the poems. Yeah. And it was very performative, very, very much so. And we were on, you know, the local uh, TV station here. The, uh, we were there many times. I mean, you know, they have programs of me and my sister singing Romanian ballads and there, and me reciting poems, and me being quite drunk, actually, at the slam in Heidelberg, you know, Club Heidelberg. Yes. Uh, being quite drunk, you know, at 22 years old, and uh, just talking about, you know, my poems and all of this kind of stuff. And they're still there, they're for the record. <laughs> You know, quite embarrassing, but wonderful time, you know. And then it grew from there and into, you know, going to study uh, poetry you know, more formally as a master's and a PhD and then building into that, uh, uh, you know, into m more of the written word um, and less of a performative word. But I quite like reading my poetry aloud still, uh, you know. You don't lose that. I, I don't think you can actually no. lose that once you have it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Carmen, when you read the the earlier version of the poem, The Divorce, and then from um, Crossing the Carpathians, um, I, I noticed such a difference in the narrative content of, yeah. of, of like, not just from the moment, but giving us, like, the story yes. of the yes. moment. Um, does, does, does that seem, that it seems important that you're telling these stories, doesn't it? Like, yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, I mean, that's a whole journey right there because what I what I read that the translated part was really uh, the poem was written first as a conversation with my father. I was addressing him, but then as uh, the distance uh, of time and of place and of uh, space and of psychological space, I suppose, and of language and of and language it has allowed me to sort of step step back and sort of paint a picture of the family and. Uh, 
you know, and in a poem, you see, I, I shift perspective in a poem. Uh, I saw him and then there, his ch- three children. Yes. So I use this kind of, uh, I shift to this point of view just to, Uh, to make sure that I have an image as complete as possible and to show that, I, you know, the distance is very important, I think, you know, to present things calmly with the, and also in the interest of, of art, of, of creating a finished piece of writing, which is very important to articulate, I think, from lived experience. Amen. Yes. <laughs> yes. And because the first poem is it's evocative and we definitely have we have these feelings. I could I could get the feeling from that. But then with the the divorce in the book, then you know why. Like you yeah. have an understanding of of the greater moment and and it's so strange because as we mentioned earlier Carmen the the burying the typewriter begins um just in this It's 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 lyrical and this like the you can hear like the bells of the cow and then there's that terrible bull that charges Bunica and um, like there's just these these moments um, and then that the, there's uh, by the time you're at the end of the book and with the appendix and where yes. you're you're looking at files on your family so you yes. you return yes. Um, It's it's such a claustrophobic. It's such a uh, this this you you describe how your mom says, "I don't know if I can feel anymore." anymore. It was very strong feeling that we had. Yes, I had. I have stopped having feelings for good. She used to say a lot. Yes, it was. Uh, And that's an effect of this. Well, so many interrogations. It, I mean, for her, weekly interrogations for years. Uh, being forced to divorce her husband, uh, uh, being intimidated, being thrown from one menial job into another. Um, Yet she returned with you. Am I understanding this correctly? To, to go with you, to look when you looked at the, when you could open yes, the files. Yes, my father phone. didn't want to come and he's still laughing. He's saying that is, you know, his daughter, the poet, you know, who's uh, philosophizing over these things. I think they're quite significant. He doesn't, you know, he lived his life and he doesn't want to look at them. But I convinced my mother to come with me. And I said, you know, this is a journey we must make together. And we met in Eucharist and we went to the fires and we saw more this than... This was a Freedom of Information Act yes. that happened. So yes. that files that they had kept, um, the Secretariat? The, the Securitate, yes, the secret police that they kept on my family and my father. These were only my father's files. We still don't, we, we're still waiting for access to my mother's. Um With all the informers and all the the penal dossiers uh, from from his incarcerations and from the spying and all the information that they had and also the information on a typewriter, um, and and Carmen, just to stop you for one yeah. second, you had already written this book. You had written yeah. the memoir yes. before you went before I saw the files. See the files. This is this is the thing. This is the lovely thing. I mean, out of all the lucky things that could have happened in my life, this was one of them, because um, we went to Bucharest, and I expected to see uh, only files from 1983 or maybe from before, but I didn't expect to find files. Um, from 1970, from when I was born, and I didn't realize that my parents, both of them, had a DUI life. A DUI means um, they had heavily monitored life. They had informers, uh, friends and colleagues who were spying on them from when I was born. 
And I thought I had an idyllic life. This is what I experienced. They've done their best to keep all of this hidden from us, my parents. But they also didn't realize how much they were monitored. And this is something that my mother is finding out with me now. I mean, we had, you know, we had no clue that there was somebody, you know, following my father from one village to the next. And there was so much secret police uh, uh, going around, trailing them from one house, from the house where I was born to uh, the house of my grandparents. Uh, We had no idea that all of this was happening. And um, it's revelatory because, again, it's a, I, I call now, I have an archival identity crisis. Uh, because I have to reshuffle my sense of identity now around these files. Uh, have I lived a lie again? Was my childhood what I thought it was? Of course it was. And I'm glad that I cut it and I kept it and I wrote it. And it's, it's literature, you know, <laughs> and it's there for my son and for my daughter. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, my God. Look at what they were doing. I mean, they, my father had, uh, the, you know, in a file here, you would see 1971, and his his um, his name was Andronic. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so they were that having... Was his co- that was, that their, was his code name. Their code name for, for him. him. Yes, yeah. was a code name for him. So you, you see, here it is. Um, and on this edition, an English edition, you could actually oh, read the Romanian. this is much bigger, yes. Yeah, you can see the Romanian there. Yes. And uh, so what's extraordinary for me is seeing how much he was monitored uh, while uh, I was little. Um, so, um, yes, I'm glad again that this happened after, uh, that the files um, happened after. And we found some 1,500 pages of uh, documents, which I now have on my desk in Geneva. And I'm making my way through them with a the view of writing another book, of course. Uh, and there was this idea of the the. the- the escape that your father made from prison when he went through Bulgaria to Turkey. Right? To the Iron Carmen? Curtain, yes. To the double Iron Curtain. curtain. <laughs> yes, that he didn't know it was double. He thought he, he was already in Turkey and they showered him with bullets and they sent him back to the prisons of Romania. And uh, what I want to do, in fact, next summer, I would like to take my father and I would like, I have the maps that I found and photos of the backpack contents and photos of his binoculars and, you know, antibiotics that he took with him. And he had some like chocolate and cognac Con- or something, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And lemons. <laughs> so <Rickets. laughs> then I thought, oops, sorry. And then I thought um, I would go with him and I would retrace the journey because in a files it also shows uh, during the interrogation, he was forced to write how he prepared for this. So, um, you know, they, he and his friend, he did this with a friend, and they used to sleep in train stations and go without food for days just to be prepared for starvation and for things like this. And they slept in coal piles um, and in, uh, in, uh, in haystacks to hide themselves from, from armed people looking for them as defectors. And so I want to trace this journey with my father, and I want to write a book about me living on both sides of the Iron Curtain, flashing back to what my father saw in the Iron Curtain part, you know, and why he had all these aspirations to, you know, to come to the West and why he admired so much the life in the Western world. Oh, I can't wait to read that one. <laughs> Thank we'll, you. we'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Today on Living Writers, Carmen Bugan is here. Her, her memoir, Burying the Typewriter, um, We'll be right back.
living writers. Welcome back. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Carmen Bukahan is here. Her memoir, Burying the Typewriter, uh, Childhood Under the Eye of the Secret Police. Um, so we've been talking about Romania. We've been talking about poems, your lovely poems, and this 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 fine memoir that you've written, and this upcoming project that will be incredible, really, with you and your father. Do you think he'll go with you, Carmen? Do you think he'll go back? I really hope to convince uh, him to go with me, because I think it's just a legacy that he leaves uh, for our family. I mean, you know, we are an immigration story of the family you know yes and starting I think, here in michigan right yeah. right well as and then now you're in geneva yes yeah, so, so i think he needs to come he needs to come and we need to because these are documents that are left you know as a foundation of our family here in the united states i mean my my sister is here my brother is still here and my mom and dad still live in grand rapids my sister lives in ann arbor she is a nurse at the university of michigan hospital And uh, should we say hi, Loredana? Hi, Loredana. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she will be very happy to hear from uh, from us. And then there's Catalin, and he he was just made a captain in the U.S. Army. So he oh, is, congratulations! Uh, wow. It's, yeah. So so it's you know, it's, it's a whole family in the service of, uh, <laughs> of yes, yes. I mean you know between nurses and teachers in our house um, and uh, and uh, army people, we're all right. Sort of. You, you guys are you're. You're doing good work. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, you know, we, I think it's important for our children. Loredana has two children, two girls. And uh, I have two children, uh, a girl and a boy. And it's good for them to know where they come from. And uh, it's, you know, everyone here has a story of how they got to America and who they are. And so I think it's good to have this. And you have a story of revolution. Yes. And, and resistance as well. Yes. I mean, I, if anything, too, I, um, out of this whole book project, what I wanted to do, I mean, somebody asked me, do you feel responsible for creating a picture of Romanians or of, of your country? Or do you feel... I'm not sure about the burden of that, yes. but um, I think, if anything, my story represents the fact that Romanians didn't just leave the country seeking economic, uh, uh, you know, relief for themselves, that many of those people were people who fought for dignity and for a better life in their own country before they were thrown away as garbage. And it wasn't uh, a 10-hour revolution. And it wasn't a 10-hour revolution. No. In fact, the Boston Globe uh, review of that was, um, he made, the reviewer made a very good point that it wasn't a 10 hours. It took uh, a lot of years for our family to feel the revolution, you know. Yes. And um, I think um, that's also a, a very important point that my book makes. I mean, this was not an intention that I had before to present Romanians in any way. But I think it really shows that, you know, here we are, a simple family from the villages um, whose aspiration was to live and die with the old traditions. And, and everyone was crying. You said the whole village, village the, was crying. Book, everyone's keening and wailing. Yes. As if, and yes. it was as if it was your weight. As if it was, exactly. And then here we were uh, thrown out of the country uh, because uh, uh, my father stood up for the dignity of the rest of the country. And I think the book makes this point very clearly. And I'm, I'm glad that it makes it. But, you know, it wasn't my intention to be so political with the book. Uh, 
uh, with this. But I think it shows that, you know, also out of all the immigrants, uh, you know, the Romanian immigrants, I think there, there are many people who share this type of story. You know, the loveliest thing is in Grand Rapids, a Romanian community there, they made a plaque for my father, a mar- marble plaque, you know, saying he, he's, he's a hero. And that was really nice. Yes. Uh, you know, this kind of connection. I think it's important also to connect to the immigrant community here, to East European community to say, you know, we share this kind of past, this kind of resistance to to oppression. Yes. So, so it's part of it. Yes. Oh, oh, I'm so glad because I'm so glad that there's recognition for him here as well as back home. Yes. And that seems because it seems like there was a point in in the story where it's, he's he's a bit broken by yes. it and as you all were and you've all like you said you you had to become the water to go around the rock to to yes. find your way and yes. it sounds like he thank goodness he has too especially if you're thinking about bringing him back and to to yes. relive some of the yes the, the memories of it yes 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 to say about this and again here's another blessing coming right from the university of michigan library it was in fact at the university of michigan library that i found um the articles uh the the transcripts of radio free europe <gasps> yes where my father, uh, where they were calling for the release of my father, and also the um, 1986 um, article in uh, Amnesty International, where he was the political dissident of the month. You know, out of the whole world, they pick every month one. And it was him. And it was him. And it was at the University of Michigan Library. So I had I have such a relationship. And then, of course, I gave with David Cope. David Cope was the one who suggested it. Um, to the rare book collection, I gave the paper paperwork of, of our sort of immigration to, to yeah here at the University of Michigan. So it's in the special archives. It's in the special There's archives and it's what? collected here. So, you know, uh, it's I take a great pride in that, you know, to have the family papers in here. It's on record. It's on record and, and, and it's, it's here. And, and it's, it's yes, here. And it's safe. Yeah, it is safe. And it's with the Cold War research. So it's 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 all it's part of history, you know. Yes. How fast. And that was your, and it's like, so it's not only, it's easy for me to say, oh, how fascinating, mm. <laughs> because it is, but it's so different that it's lived, that it's your lived history. Yes, um, yes. And it's documented and it's here and, uh, you know, um, yeah. Carmen, how did you, uh, was it a decision um, to write in the voice of a, a present child, like a, in the moment, being mm. present in childhood, or was it something where you, when you started writing, burying the typewriter, when you started writing the the memoir here, that um, this is just how it started coming to you on the page, or was it? Did you? Because it's it's one thing to write in the in the moment, and and I think mm. that you, you do this very very well, and it's evocative of the moment of the child, like what the child sees. Yes. Rather than the voice of the the older Carmen, now worldly adult. Carmen, looking back. Yes. Yes. So, so that was the, the biggest decision I had to make, and it took a long, long, long time to make. That was uh, the way into the story was uh, the the longest sort of. A creative decision I had to make, and so how did yeah how did you make it? Yes, uh, so um, I wanted to for two reasons. One, I wanted to talk to my son, so it's only a child who talks to a child. And then the other one uh, was a decision uh, that I had to make. I wanted to talk as a child to show what it is like to be a child growing up in that world. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you understand as a child? And also, what is it like to be a child 
of a family of political dissidents what what is the experience of a child because that's a that's a perspective that not many people have and of course uh, that includes me being selfish and blaming my father being angry with him uh, not seeing him as a hero but as someone who betrayed us for a long time and then making peace with peace with him much later and um, the complexities of life that you see as a child they come from the feelings not from the intellect as much and i wanted to do that and i wanted to live to have an inner lived time so you would be right there with me i wanted the reader to be with me to experience it and you know for you to feel the relief of you know going out to the to the states you know leaving the country with me and also the, uh, another reason for doing this a third reason for doing this was that i it's very easy with a story like mine to you know i mean i have a phd from oxford and uh, i the academic in me can come quite strong in saying i will give you some research now Uh, and i would be the mm. sort of sophisticated old person to tell you about this and i didn't want that self to be narrating no, this no i story. didn't want the sort of uh uh sort of more sophisticated blaming jaded person to come out and sort of tell you look what happens in totalitarianism you know i didn't want to be angry i didn't want to put blame on people but i wanted to give you um the honest uh, f- uh, feeling and lived experience of a child who does understand and who doesn't understand the ramifications the, for this reason is so important that that first part is not aware of the files you know what i mean and it's not uh, well also because i was lucky and i didn't see the files but you know it's for this reason that you know i didn't tell you know in the book you know all of the complexities that i learned later about my 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 family's past that i i gave you the book as i as i lived it as i felt it and i think it's the best you can do as a writer i mean you know if you want to be honest it's the best thing you can do it could be my parents could have had of course from their perspective life was very different for them because they had to look after us they had to hide the political secrets from us so the same event you know the way i look at this is like um, i was trying to explain to people it's like an earthquake you know happened and it shakes the whole building and everybody in a building feels the earthquake and differently has a story about it and has a different story about the earthquake and so this is my experience of the earthquake which was totalitarianism in Romania during that period you know and how were you able to so you make that decision Carmen mm-hmm. right then how how did it like how did you get yourself there like were were the images like were you did you even it almost seems as if you might have started dreaming <laughs> your your past yeah i mean it helps to be way. in oxford and it helps to take walks around those beautiful gardens and it helps to think about what was the most beautiful i was thinking of the events which marked my life the most important events and try to paint and you know like there is a drop of ink you put it in a water and yes. you wait for it till it colors the water slowly and what i wanted to do is to expand those moments and those images so that's why i start with munakai nekulai and and the cart coming and the cart and coming <laughs> because that was the first memory that i had you know i started from the first memory and then i went chronologically and then it came it came naturally i mean obviously i couldn't tell all the story of my life and i couldn't pick all the moments and uh, you know all the people in my life and all the events but i chose those which i thought they were significant and they linked to make a, m- m- a coherent story which i want my my son to read and, and my daughter and the, yeah. that first those first that first memory and trusting that 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. Going there where you trust and where you feel grounded. It was very important to start the book where I felt the ground of being, you know, when I was there in my center of the world. Thank you, Carmen. This has <laughs> been a, the, a, a lovely hour with you. Thank you for talking with me about your memoir, Burying the Typewriter. Um, out with Grey Wolf Press now this year. And if you go to greywolfpress.com, you can also take a look where, because Carmen, you've got some tour dates coming up here in Michigan yes. and in Chicago. Chicago. Um, and so check check that out to see um, if Carmen is coming near you. Uh, thanks to Aaron Kotke at Grey Wolf for sending the books and letting me know you were coming. Thanks to Nicholas. I hope... Uh, I hope that you come back and talk with me again on Living Writers and read some more poems at WCBN. Oh, um, great. Thank you so much. You always have a home <laughs> here with us. Thanks to Tex for engineering. Um, thanks to all you out there for listening. Um, thanks, Carmen Bugan, burying the typewriter and crossing the Carpathians. Um, go get those two books. I'm T. Hetzel. <laughs> Until next time. Thank you so much. Listening to WCBN FM, it's time for La Explosion Banda. Igualado. 